are listening to a sermon from the Way of Jesus series at Doxa Church in Bellevue, Washington. In this series, we are exploring the way of life that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Join us Sundays in Bellevue at 9 and 11 a.m. or online at www.doxa-church.com. Matthew 5, 38-42 You have heard that was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is ill. But if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone were to sue you for your tunic, um... Cloak as well. (laughs) If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. If you're new with us, uh, my name's Jeff. I'm one of the elders as well. I give leadership over the central region, which is primarily Bellevue and Redmond and parts of Kirkland. Uh, If you're new also, you may not know why one's clapping, but throughout this entire series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're having people memorize the passage that we're teaching from. And so it's uh, exciting to see people really internalizing God's word. That's an important thing. I love it if you would join me in prayer as we ask God to speak through his word to us. Father, thank you for this privilege of gathering freely because of all the people who have sacrificed so much that we remember this weekend for our freedom to publicly gather and to talk very openly about you. This is a beautiful gift we don't want to take for granted, so thank you for it. Thank that you gave us your word, that we are not wandering around aimlessly, but you have spoken and, in, and, and it made sure it got written down so we would know what you think about the most important issues of life. And we pray as we consider Jesus' words this morning that your spirit would grant us conviction of sin, courage to face the truth about ourselves, desire to change, and empowerment to live a new life. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I kind of feel the tension and irony of speaking on uh, not retaliating when it's Memorial Day weekend and we're wanting to honor people who've stood up and honored us, right, and protected us. So I'll clarify what this means so those of you who are already in tension points are going, okay, how's he gonna handle this? Uh, It'll be okay, I promise you. But let's start with verse 38 and get an understanding what Jesus is setting up here. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus is quoting what is referred to as lex talionis, which is the law of retribution. It's found in three different Old Testament passages. Uh, In one case where we find it in Exodus 21, there's Moses saying, if two men are fighting and one injures a pregnant woman, then we apply lex talionis to that. Now, I'm not 
I'm not sure how two men fighting are going to injure a pregnant woman. Uh, I, that's kind of an interesting situation, but maybe she's trying to break it up or trying to stop it. But he's, he's anticipating that could happen. Uh, and so he says this, if there is harm, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Then in another passage in Leviticus, he's addressing a life taken or an injury that occurs. And he says this, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Leviticus 24, 20. Then when referencing uh, what to do with somebody who gives a false witness in trial and it's discovered, Moses uh, instructs them that when they discover this person and find out what he does, he applies lex telionis again in Deuteronomy 19.21, show no pity for that person, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So what is he doing? Over and over again, he's saying justice must be done in a way that is appropriate to the crime. Our our entire justice system in the United States and most of the Western world is based upon this teaching. Now, to be clear, they weren't gouging out each other's eyes, cutting off each other's limbs, though in Islamic law, that is how it got applied in many cases. That's not how they applied it uh, in Judaism. In fact, we know that because right after one of the passages that I read in Exodus 21, we get a clarification of what this would look like in verse 26. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. So he's saying what happens is there's got to be a commensurate kind of response to the crime that was committed. That's kind of how it worked then. So the purpose of Lex Talionis was not to give people permission to go hurt one another. It was actually the opposite. It was a, a law put in place to say the only people, first of all, who get to exercise this reality are judges who've been appointed to oversee justice in the country or city that you live in. But second, it's put in place to actually restrict retaliation, to restrict the desire to get revenge, to actually limit the sinful tendency of the heart to hurt somebody when we've been hurt. Because here's how it works. Think about it. When someone hurts you, do you want to hurt them equally or more? Right? You want more. If someone someone hits you, you're not just going to hit them, you're going to hit them harder. Someone cuts you off in traffic and you get mad. You don't just cut them off. You flip them off while you do it. Right? I don't, but you do. (laughs) If if someone uh, 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 in some way accuses you wrongly, you accuse them back even worse. If someone insults you, you try to up the ante and the insult. Right? So this law was put in place to restrict us because we're broken. Because the Bible's clear that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We don't live as we ought. We need help. We need a heart change. And these laws were put in place because the hearts had not experienced that change. The world we live in is very broken. And to be clear, Jesus, as he's speaking to them, is going to speak to them about their personal application of this 
not government's application of this. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Now, I, I know this personally in terms of my own tendency to want to find retribution. As a kid, I had a terrible temper. Grew up in a family of four boys. I was the second born. My older brother was compliant and perfect. And I was not. He wasn't really perfect, but that's how it felt. And uh, I remember one particular time when my older brother built the, the teams for side, side yard football. We had a pretty big yard, big enough to play a football game in. And, and uh, he picked all the older kids to be on his team and all the younger kids were on the other team. And I knew from the beginning this was never going to work. We were going to get crushed, of which we did. And the entire time of his severe oppression of us, I was growing in anger and boiling inside so much that by the time the game was over and we were fully crushed, I ran into the house, grabbed a knife, and ran outside with the knife to scare them. But what I didn't realize is that a guy would put his hand out right when I did this, and it went through his hand. That was when I dropped the knife and freaked out and ran into the house, figuring I would be spending my life in juvie hall. After that, thankfully that didn't happen. The guy did get stitches. We worked it out. I was that kid. I wasn't really big, as you can see. So I became scrappy. And I just didn't let anybody beat me up. When I, if I got into a fight, I would do whatever I had to to win. I just didn't, I never lost a fight. Until my younger brother, who I picked on for many, many years, got bigger than me, and he was boiling over, and so one day he grabbed me, picked me up against the wall, began to pummel me with his fist until I was a bloody mess, and so the, the law of lex talionis should have been applied in our household a long time ago. <laughs> Jeff, don't pay back evil with evil. Jeff, don't try to one-up the ante of revenge. That was who I was. Jesus has changed my heart. But I'll be honest, I still struggle with either fight or flight when it comes to evil done to me, if I'm honest. Even this week, I, I got bigger when I needed to to win, and I got smaller and ran when I thought I was going to lose. Both, to be clear, driven by pride. One, to be right, Two, to be perceived as humble. As one who, yes, okay, your way. But inside, in, heart, in my heart, I'm going, no, I don't agree with you, but I cower and run. So I, I want to be honest, I didn't want to preach this message today. Because this is a hard one for me, if I'm honest. But I sit with you as a fellow learner and a fellow man in need of grace and help from God. So I approach this text saying, I need this as bad as you do, I hope. And I hope that you will hear it with humility and grace for the ways you've fallen short. So, Jesus once again sets up this thing you've heard, this law that you understand, and says, now I'm gonna go to the heart. I'm gonna get after what really the kingdom of God looks like, what people in the kingdom should live like, what flourishing humans will do if they really get me and my ways. I say to you, you've heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus is using the same technique he's been using the last several weeks, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. N.T. Wright 
I want to leave the scripture up there a sec. N.T. Wright would say a better translation of this is that where it says do not resist, uh, that word is a bit hard to translate into our language. And so you might misunderstand it as though it means you're not supposed to do anything. Uh, but it's not saying be, be passive. It's saying do not use violent resistance to resist evil. That's really how it would be translated. So do not use violent resistance to resist violence or evil done to you. Now, I said it already, but I want to clarify again, especially in light of this weekend. Jesus is not saying, I'm telling the government how they should run their government and how they execute justice. He's saying, I'm speaking to kingdom citizens who want to walk in my ways in their relationships with people every day. He's not overthrowing the government. He's not rejecting the government. He's not saying government should not exercise authority or use force when necessary. And the reason why I know this is because if he was saying this, he would disagree with the Bible. So you can never ever come to a conclusion about a particular passage in scripture if it disagrees with another passage. You've got to make sure you know that it was meant to be one faithful whole and Jesus himself is not going to deny the very words of God. You might go, where do you see this, Jeff? Well, it's all over the place. I mean, the Bible is full of evidence that God put authority in place through governing structures, but specifically Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 are very clear that God has ordained government to be put in place and for them to exercise authority in both executing justice as well as punishing evildoers when they walk in ways that are unjust. Both Paul and Peter affirm this. And until Jesus returns, we live in a broken world. Until he comes back and makes all things new, we actually live in a world where we need governing authority over us because we are not altogether perfect. We are not as we ought to be. So we live in an already not yet where the already is, the king has come, he's changed many of our hearts, we're gonna live out his kingdom principles in everyday life, and we live in the not yet He hasn't returned to make all things new, so we're in a broken world where we need governing authorities to execute justice and punish evildoers. And we live in both. And we've got to live out that tension because the Bible calls us to live out that tension. So, God wants kingdom citizens, followers of Jesus, to respond very differently to wrong done to them in light of what he has done to us. Romans 12, one through two, after Paul has spent a considerable amount of time talking about the beautiful grace of God in Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins. He says, now I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. In other words, in light of all that God has accomplished in Jesus for you, loving you while you were still enemies, as he says in Romans 5, eight, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He goes on further in this passage in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And some of you said, it's about time. That's how we get our revenge. That's a misunderstanding of what that means. And I don't have time to teach on that today, but next week we'll talk more about how we do love our enemies. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's interesting, the very next verse is about the governing authorities that, Paul, that God's, Paul says God put in place to then help you with the tension of the already not yet you live in. So just so you know where that's going, it's the same thing with Jesus. He's not saying I get rid of it, but I'm calling you to a kind of life that is in light of my mercy, God's mercy poured out in the Son of God given for you that should change you from the inside out. If you know him, if you believe in him, if you've received what he's done, you are different than the world. In God's economy, good has more power than evil. In God's economy, kindness is more powerful than violence. In God's economy, love conquers hate. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. I love how this gets depicted in the movie Les Miserables. How many have seen that movie? Okay, I'm gonna spoil it for those of you who haven't, but it's your fault. It's been out for a long, long, long time. There was a musical, there was a movie, and then there was a movie musical. So if you haven't seen it, it's just your fault. I can't protect you from that. Uh, favorite scene in the movie, probably many of yours as well. Jean Valjean, a released criminal thief, is brought into the home of a priest. He's kind of wandering along. The priest brings him into his home, feeds him a meal, spends the night. In the middle of the night, the thief gets up, begins to fill his bag with the silver, uh, uh, silverware that they have. Uh, of course, the priest hears something, so he gets up, wonders what's going on, and when he walks into the room, uh, he's discovered, and Jean Valjean hits him over the head, knocks him out. The next scene is the police bringing this thief to the priest, uh, handcuffed, and they say, we found him, we found, he said he was with you, we found your silver, and uh, he says, oh, Jean Valjean, you, you forgot the candlesticks. And he, he basically affirms that he gave him the silver, and then he wants him to have the candlestick as well. His wife, of course, is in the background going, no, like she's going to lose her pre- pre- precious you know, silver today. And he takes the candlestick, puts it in the bag, takes the hood off his head, and looks him in the eye, and he says, today, I have ransomed your soul. I have bought you back from a life of fear and hatred. And now, Jean Valjean, I give you back to God. And if you know the story from that moment on, his life changes. He fights for justice and mercy. He's willing to also be taken advantage of in order to lay down his life for others. And the entire narrative of the story is of a policeman who doesn't get grace and mercy. And so all his life, he wants to pursue Jean Valjean to the point of killing him. But Jean Valjean wants to give grace and mercy. So he really embodies the principles of the kingdom. And the policeman can't get it. He doesn't understand how he can be like this. Because he was a thief. He was a criminal. And yet now he's the most loving, kind, gracious man around. What happened? Good overcame evil, kindness overcame violence, love conquered hate. Now, it doesn't tell you know, a lot about the gospel in there, but it sure is a beautiful picture of what the gospel produces in our hearts. Amen? You like that movie? It's one of my favorites. Yeah, you could clap. Anytime you see something that looks like the kingdom of God, it's a good thing. You know, even if people don't give Jesus credit for it. 
But it's because of Jesus that we can have these kinds of stories, ultimately. Well, there's been a lot of people who have been captured by this vision of nonviolent resistance, of, of love conquering hate. The last century saw more violent deaths than any century ever before in the history of humanity. There were a total of over 203 million deaths, 125 due to being killed in wars, 80 million due to oppression in our world. It's a bad century. And yet, at the same time, there were more movements of love conquering hate than any other century before. Now you just, you just take, I mean, I'm just gonna give you a couple, just examples. Some of you are familiar with Gandhi. Gandhi never became a Christian primarily because he really liked Jesus, but the Christians in his own country, India, were so racist, he couldn't make sense out of the two. They didn't seem like they were part of the same deal. That's why he could never really fully do that. But he was deeply impacted by a Quaker who introduced him to Tolstoy's book, The Kingdom of God is Within You, which, by the way, I'm going to say I don't fully embrace Tolstoy's philosophies, just to be clear. But it's a way that, that Gandhi got introduced to the Sermon on the Mount. So, because it's all about this, this sermon. And as he embraced these truths, he went back to his country left being a lawyer in Africa, went back to India and said, I want to put these principles in place in the way that I teach and lead. And we know that the movement that surrounded his life has impacted the globe. Now, whether or not you agree with what he said, which I don't fully agree with everything Gandhi said, of course, I don't agree with anything fully I say. I mean, I read, I read one of my books that I wrote a few years ago and I want to rewrite it. Okay? But... What a beautiful display of a kingdom principle to love your enemy, to, to bless those who persecute you, to, to lay down your life for the sake of others. It's so like Jesus. And I want to honor that. And it affected all of us. Another man that was deeply impacted by the sermon that I'm preaching today was Nelson Mandela. He went into prison, a, a very hard, violent man, a very difficult man, a guy that fought with, with everything he got to resist the evil of apartheid, he went into prison, met Jesus, got changed by the sermon, came out, a man committed to nonviolent resistance against apartheid, and the world has never been the same because of Nelson Mandela. Okay? Third guy, Martin Luther King Jr. Man, the things God did through that man the sermons he preached, the life he lived, the willingness to suffer, be mocked, be rejected. This is some words from Martin Luther King Jr. Believing that love truly could conquer hate, really believing that it's more good to, it's more powerful to bring good to evil than evil to evil. He said this, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. So it goes. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. 
Only love can do that. That's good. So good. Sounds like Jesus. He also said this in one of his papers, the nonviolent approach does not immediately change the heart of the oppressor. It first does something to the hearts and souls of those committed to it. It gives them new self-respect. It calls up resources of strength and courage that they did not know they had. See, what we're going to see Jesus do as I continue in this message is we're going to see Jesus call you to not just lay down as a doormat and do nothing and also not to fight in ways that only multiply violence and hatred, but to resist in a way that can change the world. But first of all, it has to change you. That's what I love about this quote is that to live out the very message I'm about to continue preaching, your heart is going to have to be revealed as broken and in need of the grace of Jesus to not only forgive you, but to change you from the inside out. And there are resources available in the kingdom of God through Jesus our King, through his spirit in our lives to actually do the very things I'm about to teach. But apart from him, Jesus says you can do nothing. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through what is Jesus actually saying is the way to stand up with dignity in the face of brokenness and violence and evil and oppose it in the way you're supposed to, not in the way that looks like the rest of the world. Verse 39, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now you're going to notice in every one of these passages, you're going to hear an idiom that we hear over and over and over again in our culture. What's the idiom for this one? Turn the other cheek, okay? Okay, so I'm going to invite Scotty up here because I want to display what Jesus is doing through an example, okay? Where is it? There he is. You're further back, man. All right. This is Scotty. He's on, he's a, he's an intern on our team and uh, I love him. He is a dear brother and growing a ton in grace and in the gospel. So, Scotty, I, I just I, I want you to slap me. Um, so, the way they would do this is they would slap with the back of the right hand, and that was a public insult. That's what that was. So, the back of the right hand to the right uh, to the right cheek. Oh, wait a minute. We're, so, your your right hand? Yep. That, that's that your right hand? Nope. Oh, that's your right hand. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So you ready? Are you sure you're going to do this? Okay, here we go. Okay. No, 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 that's the wrong one. That's your right hand? Right hand to my right cheek. Yeah, okay. Okay. Thanks a lot. He couldn't really do it because my mic was there. I was going to try it. So, so what does Jesus say? He says, now turn him the other cheek. And it's got to be, again, it's got to be with the right hand. So I turned him my other cheek. How is he going to slap? Try slapping it right now without without uh, doing the other thing. Just same motion. You can't actually slap my cheek. Okay, back of my back of your hand. Try to hit it with the back of your hand. Okay, hardly. So, what is he going to have to do? What's the only motion that will allow him to hit my face? A punch. Even if it's an open-handed one, it's no longer this. It's this. Okay. Do you understand what Jesus is doing? Thank. Thank you, by the way. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, I want to give you the opportunity with all your dignity to stand up and expose evil for what it really is. Let the slap be an insult, but let the slap move from insult to injury. If this guy's heart is so determined on destroying me, then let it be seen by everyone else that this is not just an insult. This is someone trying to destroy you. Okay? We see this in Martin Luther King. We see many of them. What are they doing? They're letting the evil of humanity show itself. What is the cross all about? 
The cross isn't just there. Jesus didn't die to forgive us of our sins. That's not the only reason he went to the cross. He also went to the cross to display how wicked evil is. To show that this is what humanity does to the very son of God because in their hearts they are wicked. And the only thing that will change them is a change of heart that he can bring about. So what's going on? When I, when I engage in that, it's saying, okay, let me show you what's really going on in your heart by me not engaging in it in the way that you would. Okay, what would happen if, if, if Scotty slapped me and I slapped him back? It's just gonna start a fight, right? Now, we don't, we don't slap people these days generally as a way of well, public insult, but we do tweet We do Facebook, we do Instagram, we do Snapchat. And I just want to ask you, like, how is the kingdom changing the way you tweet, the way you post on Facebook, the things you say you like? When's the last time you engaged in an online insult competition because you wanted to prove someone wrong or you wanted to shame them publicly? I mean, it's happening. In fact, what's so dangerous about it is there's zero accountability. Because see, in, in that day and age, if someone slapped a person and it kept going, like they were taking justice in their own hands in such a way that they'd be held accountable for how they handled themselves. Today, we'd get away with everything. Our wickedness is so obvious. Just t- turn on your computer. Just open your phone. I mean, it's everywhere. And f- family, those of you who, who know Jesus... Uh, I'd love this to be true for everybody. Those of you who know Jesus, we've got to act differently. In fact, I just want to, I don't even engage. I made a policy from now on that if somebody insults me or tries to challenge me in Twitter or Facebook, whatever it may be, which I hardly am on, but if they do, I'm just done. That's not the best place to have a conversation anyway. I want to be with them in person, interacting, seeing their face, fighting for unity, living at peace with all as much as it depends on me. But we're doing just the opposite. We're escalating anger and violence and hatred. We've got to be careful and we've got to follow Jesus in this way. Verse 40, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. What's the idiom there? Give him the coat off your back. Right? You've heard that idiom, right? So what's going on here? The, long sh- the, the, the tunic was actually a long shirt, like a hipster shirt. Right, except for a lot longer than hipsters, so it was like the whole covered their whole body, and then the cloak was like an overcoat that they wore that also covered them. It also was used as their blanket at night, so it was what they would keep warm in, uh, so that they would have the ability to go to sleep in the cold if they were traveling and have warmth. So you weren't even actually allowed to sue someone for their overcoat because it would be taking away their very sustenance for for living. So you could sue someone for their un, for their shirt. Couldn't sue them and take their coat. So what is Jesus doing? He's saying, okay, just imagine this person's in the court of law. Someone's brought you to court. They're suing you and they want your shirt. He's saying, don't just give them your shirt. So imagine, what do you got to do? You got to take off your cloak to take off your shirt. So you're going to take off your shirt. And then he says, give them your coat as well. Now, what are you? You're naked. What is he saying? He's going, expose, pun intended, expose the evil of the person who is taking you to court because if they really wanted justice, they would be okay with the shirt. They would never take the coat. One, because they know it's wrong. Two, because they know it wouldn't be good for you. Three, because it's not even just. 
So, so let, let them take it all to prove what they're really about, which is your destruction, not justice. It reveals, it exposes. And e- even though you might go, man, being naked in the courtroom doesn't seem dignified, it is a way of you saying, I'm not afraid to stand up in this injustice, even if it leads to my own personal humiliation, because I want evil to end. You know, think about Jesus stripped naked, put on a cross. In his nakedness, he's saying, I want it to end. I want the shame that you feel because of your sin to be ended so that you can be clothed in my righteousness. As I become naked, take on my coat. Cover yourself up with my very righteousness. By the way, this, is just, this isn't passivism. This isn't becoming doormats. This is dignified and powerful. It's a display of grace and mercy and love that transforms. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. What's the idiom there? Go the extra mile. There you go. There was a custom in the ancient world that anytime a, a, a governing official or a soldier, somebody could, even a superior of any sort, was around you, they could say, I'd, I'd like you to carry my pack. And you, could, you had to carry it for at least a mile. That was the required amount. It's interesting, side note, not a, not a side note, it's very important, but it feels like a side note. Uh, you know Simon the Cyrene? Remember when Jesus could no longer carry his cross? The soldiers said, pick up his cross. They were applying this law. He was supposed to take it a mile. Now can you imagine being the one who carried the cross of Jesus. I'm sure it didn't feel good then. I'm sure it was a shaming thing. He's a criminal. That's what he's being called. He's being called a criminal because he's gonna go suffer the worst torture you could ever imagine, only reserved for the worst. But I bet you looking back, hearing this teaching even, I'm sure Simon's going, I got to carry the king of kings cross. I got to participate in bearing the weight and feeling what he went through barely, but a little bit. You just imagine the weight he felt, the best possible way to being dignified to participate in the sufferings of Christ in a very small way, but a very significant historical way, one that nobody will ever forget. See, what's going on here is Jesus is going, hey, they have the right to ask you of so much. Just think about our government. Think about your employer. Think about whoever has authority over you, kids, your parents, or teachers, professors for these college students. You're like, man, I feel sometimes like they're asking too much. They're demanding too much. And what Jesus is saying is going, don't, don't just do what they demand. When you hit the first mile, just keep going. And they're going to go, what are you doing? I just want to serve you. I just want to make it easier for you. I want want to do the best I can to fulfill the intent, which is to take the burden off you for a bit. Can you imagine if that's the way you, you did your job? Like, you didn't just show up at work and punch the clock and do what was asked, but you went beyond can you imagine, students, if you didn't just do the homework, but you said, I wanna, I wanna learn more. I don't, I'm not just gonna respect my teacher. I'm gonna help my fellow classmates respect our teacher by not engaging in ways that dishonor the teacher or professor. Can you imagine if we went beyond as a people? What kind of culture would that create? 
It'd be a kingdom culture. It'd be a flourishing culture. It'd be a culture that is eager, as Paul says in the passage I read earlier, to outdo one another in showing honor. That's what it would be like. Think about how this applies even, some of you live in a HOA, right? A homeowners association and you have to keep your yard up and park in the right places and all these things. And what if you said, I'm gonna go beyond the requirements of the HOA and actually care for my neighbor's yard as well. I'm gonna not just be a good citizen, I'm gonna be a good neighbor and a good friend. I'm gonna go beyond what is expected. I think it'd change our city. Every company would be better Every neighborhood would be better. Every family would be better. Every church would be better. Everything would get better if we did this. The first three are people oppressing and you responding. The last one, verse 42, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now to be really clear, Jesus is not saying give to everyone what they want. Okay, we know from other places in the Bible that we don't just give people what they want, we give them what they need, that you wouldn't even take care of somebody who is unwilling to do any work at all. Like that's, that, that doesn't dignify them, that, that leads to them becoming less human. If, if you haven't read the book, I'd encourage you to read the book, When Helping Hurts. Be a, a, it's, how do we know the real need and how do we address the real need? So Jesus is saying, if somebody in relationship with you is begging you for help and you have the means to do it, do it. Care for them. What he doesn't want, and I want to say this because for a lot of us, we have, we have lots of means and we could help people very easily in ways that require zero relationship. Like think about the person begging for something on the side of the street. It's easy for us to go, I'll give them money and make myself feel better and then drive on. But they don't need money, they need friendship. They need relationship. The reason why they're there is because they're lonely. They, they've learned how to live in isolation. Not always, but that's often the case. I remember my kids and I were out in the park one day. This is when we lived in Tacoma. And a man came up and asked for some money. And I asked him what he needed. He said, well, I just need to get a bus ticket. I said, well, I'd love to drive you. How about if I give you a ride? He said, no, 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 the bus ticket will be fine. I go, well, then how about if I walk with you to the bus stop and I'll buy you the ticket? And he goes, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And I said, well, don't you want a bus ticket? He goes, yeah, but just give me the money and I'll go buy it. I go, well, I'd love to go with you. I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And, and at one point he said, I don't really want a bus ticket. I go, okay. I said, what do you want? Well, he said, well, I want, I want to go buy some food. I said, great, let's go get some food. There's a subway right over here. So he did. He took me up on the bar. We went and bought him some subway. I said, what else do you need? He goes, well, actually what I'd like is some comic books. I'm like, okay, well, let's go find a, is there a store around here that sells comic books? And the kids are with me the whole time, so we, we go over to the store and it's closed. And I said, man, I would have loved to have gotten you that. I'm sorry, I can't do that. And he goes, well, you could just give me some money. I'm like, no, that's, that's not how I'm gonna do this. But after, it was about probably half hour, 45 minutes of time with a guy to show him that I care about him, not just my guilt, not just try to feel better about myself by making him kind of get off my back. And me feeling like I did a good deed. See, I want to I say this really, family, I want you to hear this. We live in a community that's very, very affluent, has tons of resources, and if we're not careful, we think nobody needs anything. But I'm telling you, people are lonely. They're living behind the facade of a house, of a car, of a job, 
of a portfolio, a wardrobe. They're lonely. They're in isolation. What they need is friendship. What they need is family. One of the reasons why I'm convinced we need to continue to be living in community on mission, as a missional community, is because you need to not be alone and the world needs to see a people who love one another really well in the midst of their brokenness and then share their lives with them and give to what they need. We should be able to look around our church and go, no one is without their needs being met because we have enough to give and no one's alone because we don't just give handouts or benevolence without relationship. There have been three suicides of young men in the last month on the east side. One was a graduate of Juanita High School. Another one was a classmate of my daughter who killed himself at Lake Washington High School. One was another kid at Bellevue High School in the last month. Three suicides. There's more cases of depression on the east side and need for antidepressant medicines than almost anywhere in the entire state and possibly the country. The need for antidepressant, I'm not against that, please don't hear that, but the fact that people are so depressed is a sign of their loneliness, of their isolation, of their hopelessness in life. Jesus is saying, don't just respond to the evil that comes at you with kindness and love and grace. He's saying, respond to the evil that you see around you by being proactive to care, be proactive to give, be proactive to meet the real needs of real people. See, the heart behind all of this, this entire passage, is selfless love. It's dying to self so that others might live. It's the kind of love that's willing to die to myself, to my pride, die to my selfish ambition, die to my selfish gain in order to love others. I want to ask you to ask a question of yourself this week. When you find yourself reacting in self-defense, annoyance, when, when, when someone wrongs you, when things don't go well, I want you to ask, why am I responding the way I'm responding? Why am I so angry? Why am I so frustrated? Why am I so discouraged? Why am I so in despair in light of the situation? I want you to ask, is it because my real concern is for justice, upholding the law, caring for others, serving? Or is it because I want to be right? I want to be Number one, I want to be thought of more well, highly. I want, what, what's the motive? Try it just for a, a week, and you might go, I can't do it. Okay, try it for an hour today. Just pay attention to what's going on in your heart. And why do I say that? Because I want you to realize you need Jesus. The only way we're gonna live this way, the only way we're gonna bring the kingdom flourishing life into everyday life is if we really come face to face with our deep need for Jesus Christ because apart from him, we can't do this. And as we see him, we see him for who he is and what he's done. And it changes us from the inside out. Listen to what Peter says in light of this in 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. You could just change that and to your employer, employer to, to your parents, to your teacher, not only to, to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while, while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it if you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 
By the way, grace is divine empowerment and favor. In this case, he's talking about divine empowerment. God has given you the grace to do something you couldn't do. For to this you've been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We will never love like Jesus until we actually have Jesus change us from the inside out as we see him for who he is and what he's done. I was ministering to a woman after the first gathering in prayer, praying with her, and she shared with me a story of some deep, deep pain and a wound that has deeply affected her over the years. And she was asking for help to how to apply this to people who really hurt you. And I said, well, first of all, you you need to realize that the cross is God's way of saying, I see the sin and I see it for what it is. It's really that bad. I said, second, God wants you to realize you can't ever carry the weight of sin yourself In fact, you've been trying to atone for it by carrying it on your back and you're beating yourself up or beating the other person up continually. And he wants you to say, I see that you see and I know I can't carry it. And so Jesus, I give you this. What has been done to me, you died for. Will you carry it? I said, second, it's by his wounds that you've been healed. Jesus didn't go to the cross only to forgive, but also to heal. So you might need to say to Jesus, not only take it so I don't have to take it anymore. And even say with them, Father, they forgive them. They don't know what they're doing to me. But then I know it's hurt me and I need you to heal me. I need to look to you and ask you to pour out that healing oil all over my body that your spirit can bring to me to heal me. That may be some of you here today. Maybe for the first time you realize you need Jesus to live the life that you actually want to live. He's been putting it in your heart. I want to be that kind of person, but I don't have Jesus. I want to encourage you to come and receive his forgiveness for the ways you haven't been that kind of person. Through the cross, he died to forgive you. But then invite him to apply the power of the resurrection because the beauty of Jesus rising from the dead is him saying, all the powers that come against you, I have power and authority over. And he wants to pour out his spirit into your life and give you the power to live a new one. It's my hope that we'll be that kind of people, family. Our city needs this. They really do, but you do first. Like Martin Luther King said, the change that really needs to happen is not with the oppressor, it's with you in your own heart. Let's pray. Father, all of us struggle with this. If we're honest, we fight or we flight, but we don't know how to choose the third better way, and that is to stand up against injustice with love and grace and mercy and kindness. Thank you that you have led many people to live this way as examples for us, but most importantly, thank you, Jesus, that you lived it perfectly for us so that we could be forgiven and we could be changed and we could be empowered. Help us, we pray in your name, amen.